Hello, and welcome to another episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the pilots who fly those airplanes, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called, Can't We All Just Get Along? <laughs> it's uh, This episode is going to be filled with mostly short stories about races, racial stereotypes, gender differences, uh, rivalries or tensions that happen between different groups who work together, like pilots and flight attendants. It's the same sort of uh, tension you might have with uh, doctors and nurses and also perceived prejudices. And I'll tell a funny story about how I made judgments about a group of people on vacation, and they turned around and made judgments about me. So basically, it's going to be all funny stories about, can't we all just get along? Is it from the way I've been spinning since I've been with you? Every day is coming faster than the day before. Dallas-Fort Worth Airport has taxiways that are lettered alphabetically from the south to the north. And they start going down, and the end of the alphabet is at the north end of the airport. And uh, taxiway Zulu, you would think, is the end of the alphabet as they come down towards Zulu. But they actually transpose Zulu first and then Ye uh, Yankee second. And Yankee is at the north border. Is it true, Lloyd, that the reason in Dallas-Fort Worth, the Yankee taxiway is on the north because from the south's perspective, there's nothing further north than a Yankee? <laughs> is that true? That's true. Very <laughs> true. My son was in third grade. He came home from his first day at school. So how was school? Oh, he says, fine, great. He says, Mom, I made a new friend. I said, you did? I said, what's his name? He says, Thomas. And he sits right by me in school. I said, oh, isn't that nice? Now, the area we live in, there are a lot of Asians. So my husband says to him, well, he said, is uh, Thomas Oriental? My son says, uh, no, he's Korean. <laughs> okay, this is a story about uh, the Chicago O'Hare Airport that for decades was... Uh, People would, that didn't go through Chicago often almost feared it because the way that they named all the taxiways uh, was, was different than every place else in the world. Every other place said, you know, you taxi on taxiway Alpha to Bravo to Charlie, hold short of Delta, something like that. Chicago, from the very old days, named things like almost like street names. And so they would say, uh, hey, uh, United, uh, taxi out to uh, Charlie down the Lakeshore Drive, turn right at the branch, hold short at the wedge, take the inner to the branch to the cargo. 
And, you know, you wouldn't... And, and uh, so to keep all these names in your head was very, very difficult, and the signage was, was, was just awful. So there was a story of an Ital- Alitalia fly- 747 fl- flew in there one day, snowing to beat the band. You couldn't see the damn taxiways anyway. And the clearance to Alitalia turns off the runway, and uh, the clearance comes from the tower. Alitalia, turn right on the, on the uh, outer to the wedge, the branch, hold short of uh, the inner, go to, uh, trying to think of some of the other ones, go, uh, you know, hold short of Lakeshore Drive to the, to the wedge to the cargo. And the guy, he turn, makes the wrong turn. Tower comes back, he says, Alitalia, I said, I told you, go to the wedge, the branch, the inner, to the cargo. He starts to make an additional wrong turn. The voice from the tower comes back, he says, Alitalia, I suggest the next time you come to Chicago, you read our taxiway charts before you land. Just then, the airplane comes to a screeching halt. He's 200-foot wingspan, almost swoops down to the ground. He stopped it so hard, and this deep voice, new deep voice, comes on the radio, and he says, Hey, you up there in the tower, I'm going to kick your ass. And the following transmission was the tower. It says, Okay, Alitalia, I'll tell you what. Everybody on the airport, stop. Alitalia's going to their gate. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Okay, so we're talking to a female captain. Hello. (laughs) Okay, so my story is one uh, a few years back flying 727 and uh, we had an all-woman crew we're sitting at the gate waiting to push back and one of our passengers got on stuck his head in the cockpit looked in he saw one then two then three of us and his comment was wow look at all the women up there the second officer turned around just that quick and said and we're not afraid to stop and ask directions either in the Air National Guard, but I was integrated into the Air Force for training purposes. Okay, so you're going to tell me a story about a, was that a student? It was. It was an Iranian student who had been there prior to my getting there, but the instructors had some familiarity with his flying technique. (laughs) Well, the Air Force when a student pilot was on his initial solo would put a speaker of his same language in the runway supervisory unit that's like a little tower out at the runway location so they had the Iranian student who was doing his initial solo and another Iranian student in the runway supervisory unit with the RSU controller and the student flying was executing a traffic pattern coming into land and there are different positions around the traffic pattern so as the student approached the position called the perch the runway supervisory unit controller saw that he didn't have his wheels down so he made a call over the radio and said 
aircraft at the perch, check your down. And he got no response. So the aircraft continued around the pattern, and the RSU controller said, aircraft in the final turn, check your down. And still no response, the aircraft continued. So as he rolled out on final, the RSU controller made the call of aircraft on final, check gear down. Still no response, but the aircraft continued towards the runway. Now the RSU controller started to get a little bit worried. So he his tone raised and he said, aircraft on short final, check gear down. And he got no response. So as the aircraft got closer, he said, Aircraft a very short final. Go around, go around, go around. And still no response. So at this point, the RSU controller turned to the Iranian student in the RSU unit with him and said, Tell that stupid son of a bitch to go around now. And the Iranian student in the RSU said, You stupid son of a bitch, go around now. (laughs) At which point he got... Immediate response, and the aircraft executed a flawless go-around. So in this episode, we've been talking about prejudices, stereotypes, you know, gender. Basically, you know, can't we all just get along? But a lot of times, what people... People have perceived prejudices, where they perceive that they're being prejudiced against. And uh, this one incident, we have buddy passes, which the airline gives you so many a year, you give them to somebody else, they buy them at a reduced rate, and they fly standby. And if there is room in first class, which there rarely is, because there's all the upgrades and everything, they can be put in first class. And I always explain everything to anybody I give a buddy pass to that, you know, most likely you won't get in first class, but if there is space and, you know, you have to dress a certain way and blah, blah, blah. Well, apparently there was this blonde girl. She was in her early 20s. And apparently the pilot who had given her a buddy pass had not explained this very well. And she was just outraged. She was sitting in coach. She had two seats. It wasn't crowded, but it was full in first class. And she just, every time we went by, she'd start swearing, saying, this is bull S. This is bull S. And we'd be like, what? And she's like, I was supposed to be in first class. And we're like, well, um, first class is full. And you know, you're on a buddy pass. And it's only if there's space available. No, I'm supposed to be in first class. You don't understand. You don't understand who my friend is. My friend's a pilot. And it was like, well, thinking, yeah, we all know pilots. (laughs) But then she got to what her major gripe was. She said, you know, this is bull s. I know they didn't put me in first class because I'm too beautiful. (laughs) I had never heard anybody say that in my entire life. She felt like she was being discriminated against because she was too beautiful. She said, women hate me. And it was a a female gate agent. And she didn't put me in first class because I'm too beautiful. And this is bull S. (laughs) She kept going on and on. And I'm like bending down in the IOA trying to explain to her that, you know, you got to stop this. You got to stop acting up, quit swearing, or else the pilot who gave you the buddy pass is going to get in trouble. You, You know, you can't 
cause a scene on a buddy pass. She's like, no, it's, it's bull s, it's bull s. I didn't get put in first class because I'm too beautiful. And you know what? She was pretty, but she, she wasn't that great. But in her mind, she was so beautiful that all women hated her and they wouldn't put her in first class because she was too beautiful. Boy, it takes all kinds. We have as flight surgeons, they're Navy doctors that are assigned to your squadrons, and they usually can be the brunt of a lot of jokes about the guys in the squadrons. They're always looking for ways to get back. When you're in the Marine Corps, you have to get a flight physical every year. And one of the biggest pranksters was a uh, Navy or was a Marine captain, and he uh, was known for pulling stuff on Navy flight surgeons all the time. Well, Flight surgeon decided to get back, and this year the uh, captain was going to get a uh, prostrate check, which entails dropping your pants and showing parts of your body usually don't show to a flight surgeon. But this uh, flight surgeon decided he was going to get back to this guy, so what he did is when it came to that part of the uh, examination, it's supposed to be in a closed room, he left the door a little ajar. And so the guy had his pants down, bent over the table, one arm, his hand, left hand was on the guy's left shoulder, his finger was uh, going in places that he not used to and most men. And, and, and his buddy, his buddy snuck in and stuck his other hand, his right hand, on his right shoulder. To say the least, when the, the second hand hit the shoulder, uh, you could hear a howl out into the waiting area and there was a bunch of us out there waiting to have ours and to say the least the flight exams came to a screeching halt and a bunch of us went out and decided to figure and finish that another day but say the least the guy came out with a pretty red face and a new understanding of flight surgeons No offense to you, Betty. <laughs> On the MD-88 and MD-90, we have a female voice that gives us our warnings, like right. fire, right engine, fire, right engine. And since it's a female voice, wind shear, all these different voices, it's all in a female voice. And since we test it on every flight, we hear it all the time. So we call her Bitchin' Betty. Bitchin' Betty. Bitchin' Betty. Of all the names, too. Yeah, well, if, if I'd have known your name was... Betty, I wouldn't have called it that. I, I would have, I would have changed it. <laughs> oh, I just think it's funny because I've never heard that before. I had no idea that it was bitch and Betty. <laughs> well, now you know. Okay, this is a story that uh, circulated through the uh, 141 community back in the uh, mid to late 70s. We traveled uh, off the west coast to uh, Japan. And went into the base uh, called Yokota Air Force Base. When we got there, uh, we'd put the airplane to bed and a crew bus driver would come and pick us up. The story was the crew bus drivers were all Japanese. The story was when uh, after the war, they picked these guys up off the, uh, out of the local economy and, uh, and had them come do the kind of the menial jobs around the base. Well, 
Evidently, one time there was one uh, aircraft commander that uh, just let the crew bus driver had told him he was driving too fast, driving too slow, driving too erratic, whatever. Crew bus driver would take you to base ops. You'd go do your business there, and then he would take you over to the BOQ, and you'd sign in, and then he'd take you to the wherever your uh, room was. And so this guy was just letting him have it uh, for 15, 20 minutes. Finally, they got to the stop where the aircraft commander had to get off, and the bus driver had not said a word to the guy the whole time. And as he was getting off the uh, bus, the Japanese guys looked at him. He goes, next time we win the war, you drive the bus. episode we have been talking about stories about how can't we just get along well I consider myself to be very open-minded but I took a vacation a few years back where I guess I wasn't as open-minded and I made some judgments about people but then those people turned around and made judgments about me also I obviously love to travel and Money for traveling is always an issue. So I had a vacation. I didn't have anything planned. And I was complaining to a friend that I couldn't figure out what to do. And because I like to do a lot of yoga, he suggested that I go to this ashram. It was in the Northeast. And it sounded like a great idea because it was very inexpensive because you had to work uh, about three hours a day. So I figured, well, I get to do some yoga. It's very inexpensive and, you know, could be a very interesting experience. Well, it did turn out to be an interesting experience. As soon as I got there, I started wondering about my plan because as I checked in, they gave me a three-page list of rules and requirements and my schedule. I mean, they had your day scheduled out minute by minute. You'll get up, you'll have breakfast, you'll meditate, you'll do yoga, you'll work, you'll chant up in the attic in the evenings. <laughs> I I was uh, I should have known right then. I was thinking, hmm, well, you know, it was a beautiful place. It was a very large compound, I guess you would call it. There were a lot of people living there, families even. And um, I thought at this point, I'm still giving it an open mind. I'm thinking, you know, I, I got into my room and it was sort of like a, a monk's room or a nun's room, you know, just a simple bed and a desk and a chair, no locks on the doors. And at this point still, I'm thinking, well, this is good. I'll, I could write in my journal. I'll do some yoga. It'll be a relaxing week. <laughs> well, it just kept getting odder and odder. The, first of all, the yoga was terrible, which seemed to make everything else work because the yoga was like yoga for 80-year-olds. And since that was my main reason for being there, all the other strange aspects made it a lot worse considering my main reason for being there wasn't very fulfilling. So anyway, I um I still was trying to keep an open mind, but it was such a regimented lifestyle. You know, you could only talk during certain hours of the day. You couldn't talk in your room. You couldn't talk in the halls. It had, and I hate to say it, but it had cult-like qualities. I'm not saying it was a cult, but it had definite cult-like qualities, like the chanting up in the attic in the evenings. It, it was just, and the people there seemed very sad. I mean, well, nobody seemed happy. I'll put it that way. So when it was times that you could talk, 
that just tells you right there, what a great vacation. It was one of the times where I was allowed to talk. <laughs> and I sat down uh, for a meal, very, very vegetarian, very bland meals at the ashram. And I sat down with this man who was in his 30s. And I said, how long have you been here? And he's like, oh, I've been here three years. And I was thinking, three years? I wasn't sure if I was going to make it a week. And I said, oh, what brought you here? And he said, well, I believe that the Swami, I'm not going to say the Swami's name because I don't like to say names when it's something negative. Anyway, he said, the Swami so-and-so, I believe he's a great spiritual leader. And he told me to sell everything and move here. So I did. And I thought, well, that explains what brought you here. But why are you still here? And I said, are you, are you happy here? And he paused and he said, well, Swami so-and-so <laughs> believes that sometimes you have to pay in this lifetime to have a better next lifetime. And I said, boy, man, you are really banking on that next lifetime. <laughs> sometimes I don't keep my mouth shut and sometimes it does get me into trouble. But I was just trying to wrap my brain around this place and I started to get rather uncomfortable because I, I thought some of the people were a little odd. And like I said, it was very regimented and there were no locks on the doors. And I, I had lots of time to think because so much of the day you weren't allowed to speak. And I started thinking, gosh, you know, this place would be a great place to hide out if you were, you know, hiding from the law or something. You know, there's no locks on the doors. I started putting like a chair <laughs> wedged up against my door. <laughs> There was no heat. It was the northeast. It was the winter. I started thinking, I I'm paying to stay here. Why am I here? So I I went out in the hall. There was a phone down in the hall. And um, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be talking at that time in the hall. So I'm, I'm calling my friend, the one that recommended I go there. And I'm like, um, it's very strange here. It's cold. And he's like, why are you whispering? I'm like, we're not allowed to talk in the halls. <laughs> and he's like, oh my gosh, where did I send you? And so after talking to him, I was thinking, I'm leaving. I've had it. I, I need to hightail it out of this place. And I was worried that they weren't going to let me leave or they were going to try to convince me to sell my, my belongings and move there. So I had prepared a speech for the head woman and I got in there with her and I started explaining, you know, um, it's not what I thought. Uh, I don't mind if I pay for the rest of the week. I just want to leave. And I was waiting for her to try to convince me to stay. <laughs> and she was like, um, no, it's okay. You can leave. And uh, then she said, you know, we are very inward here and you are very outward. <laughs> she didn't want me. The cult place, like the cult-like place didn't want me. I was so happy. I hightailed it out of there so fast. You know, I, I really like to keep an open mind and whatever floats your boat, but the ashram life was not for me. Well, that's about it for another episode of Betty in the Sky with the Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. And whether you're black, white, Asian, female, male, pilot, flight attendant, or just too beautiful, 
I hope that we can all stay open-minded and all just get along.